0: In preparation for today's message, we shall be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Good morning. The Lord is good. We are on a series, and I'd like to emphasize that that we are almost on a series and if you have to find out what's the series look at the back of your bulletin and uh, we covered centrality of God's word we discussed number two as well discipleship and shepherding through small groups we started that last Sunday but the topic today or the exposition today covers uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, part of 4, 5, and 7. Um, it does not include leadership development. And Acts 2.42 seems to be a powerful verse in covering these aspects. The title today of the sermon today is Devoted Practice. Devoted practice. The text is Acts 2 42. Now, before this, Peter preached a powerful sermon after the coming of the Holy Spirit. The people who listened felt convicted and asked, What shall we do? And Peter replied and said, Repent and be baptized. The Lord added 3,000 that day. After repentance and baptism, Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts and the author of Luke, recorded that they practiced four main endeavors consistently. They would add other activities like feeding the widows, but they practiced mainly these activities. In church, there are minor activities and there are the main activities. What we should not do is make the minor activities as turn it into major and turn the major activities and turn it into a minor activity. Three things I'd like to point out with you today from the text. And uh, number one is a steadfast devotion well, it's a redundant way of saying devotion because devotion is steadfast and being steadfast shows that you are devoted. Other, another word is being consistent. Another way of saying devoted is continued steadfastly. Again, allow me the redundancy so that I can give an emphasis. Why should we emphasize this? Because many of us are not consistent many of us are not consistent. We don't know what priority is. We think the priority is our needs and that's already on starting on the wrong foot. You don't understand now what it means to follow Christ. To follow Christ is to deny ourselves and follow Him. It is not our activities but His activities that matter. After Peter preached and people believed What did they do next? They gathered them. And this is somewhat like church planting. They gathered them and these are the activities they instituted. And these activities are very important. Now, being devoted or they continued steadfastly, according to Acts chapter two, it reflects consistency. Consistency, like we want to do things every week some of us every other week, not when we find time, meaning you're not putting it first. So if you say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, how do you apply that? Do you apply it only in your personal prayer? Well it should be that in your personal life he is first, but then in following him it's not on an individual basis as some of us were taught. Individual part is important and necessary. It is a personal relationship. However, we have so emphasized that, that even in the New Testament, the word personal was not emphasized. It was not emphasized. Make him your personal Lord. First, the, the, the phrase make him is already sounds blasphemous. You cannot make him Lord. He is already Lord, whether you like it or not. You're on his earth. You're under the atmosphere he created. Now to put him first is not only on the private individual level, it should be reflected in our community. It's the body of Christ. Now who do you approach when Christ is not here? Yes, we approach him in prayer. But who represents Christ on earth? Not one single individual. It is the body of Christ. It is the community. So when we come together, it is meeting his body, his representatives, plural, on earth. The word body is singular, as one body, but made up of plural, of people who believe in him and follow him. Recently, I found a wonderful quote, and I shared it on, on a GCF group. And uh, it says there, do not make an intimate friend of someone who is not God's friend, or something like that. If your intimate friends are not people who love and fear God with all their hearts, then you are very comfortable for n- to non-spiritual talk. You're very comfortable with this world. I mean, you can have time and discussion Lengths, amount, uh, long amounts of time, because these are your intimate friends, and not based on Scripture. Now, in other words, they, they, what happened in Acts two forty two, they endeavored. The word devoted is they endeavored to learn from the apostles. And then they devoted themselves to fellowship and the breaking of bread and they prayed as consistently as possible. And that is what it means to be devoted. If one wonders about the lifestyle of the believers in the early church, this is an essential context. This is what they do. This is their lifestyle. Now, when we think of lifestyle, if we, we like watching about success and those who became rich, now we're thinking lifestyle as having wonderful things, material things. In, a, in a essence, yes, you can call that a lifestyle, but a lifestyle is something you do habitually. It's something that's part of your life. It's something integrative. It's something you cannot live without. It's a habit. You don't even have to think of doing it, you actually do it. And some, if somebody says you have a, have a life th- lifestyle of excellence, it's just excellence is part of everything you do. You cannot do something half done, you have to do it well. If somebody says he has a lifestyle of studying and therefore uh, his life is integrated to it, he cannot live without it it would feel not normal. I can even extend that this is not only their lifestyle, this is how they lived. This is how they survived spiritually. We can even extend it to that. Now, when we talk about survival, you know that you have to be in an ecosystem to survive. Humans need oxygen to survive. We need air. If you put us underwater that's not our ecosystem. We will die underwater. Well, we can survive with technology. But if you bring a fish outside water and put them in un- in air, they're going to die. They will not survive because that is not their ecosystem. Now, how do you think the spiritual life survives? You have to make sure the ecosystem is there. And uh, we humans are good in developing technology, that's why even in, in farming, we create these greenhouses. And some of these greenhouses have refrigeration to mimic uh, the weather of other countries. It's just amazing. But we create that ecosystem. And part of the ecosystem is the community of believers, where they did these things. Apostles' teaching, fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayer. Let's look at that verse again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. That seems to be together. Apostles' teaching and fellowship, comma, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And that seemed to be together. So four things we will look at today. Next point, learning and fellowship. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is, which is the teaching of Christ and about Christ. Now, the teaching covers both the Old and the New Testament scriptures. Remember that Christ said, and we will look at Luke 24, the point of quoting Luke 24 is Christ mentioned who he was in the Old Testament. That's why when we study the Old Testament, we must have the lens, the lens of the, the mission of God, the lens of who Christ was. The Old Testament gave a shadow of the coming of the Christ. There were prophecies, and the ceremonies reflected the legal system of God, which would be applied in the sacrifice of Christ. Well, the new believers, they learned and they fellowship together. So we learn and we fellowship. So those two things are important. We must do self-study, we must read on our own, we must research on our own, yet at the same time we have to learn together. It's that uh, the beauty of that both of it happening, where after I learned something, I talked to the others, and they also studied, and if we know the proper way of studying, which is contextual, then we can engage in, in a beautiful discussion of trying to be more accurate with one another. Me being open to listen to others and others being open to me. And then we open the Holy Scriptures. And that's the beauty of fellowship. Oh, yesterday, uh, some of the elders and myself went to diet meet our brothers and sisters there. We did, the, we did the Proclaim training there and we had a great time. Our only complaint was the bill was too expensive and we were in a hotel, a nice hotel there, and we thought, I mean, uh, anyway, that's done. <laughs> that's our only complaint. And then we had a lively discussion coming back and the discussion was about Christian liberty. There is a subject matter called Christian liberty. And around three elders were discussing, including myself, about Christian liberty. And of course, that brings me back to Romans 14, where... Romans 14, I'm just giving you an example of learning and fellowshipping and learning together. So uh, somebody said that, hey, somebody saw somebody with a bottle somewhere in public, and uh, for others that might be an issue. And um, then I also explained... Uh, why? how we should address both, and we all agree that we should address both. In the, what way should we address both, how Paul addressed both in Romans 14. It says if you some, see somebody, to those who, uh, who believe you should not eat meat offered to idols, the problem there was all the meat in the market was, were offered to idols unless you have your own meat. And that was the issue. So in Romans 14, and... And the discussion was in the end, Paul was saying, "You who don't judge the one who eats meat offered to idols, if you're going to eat, don't even ask. Just buy it and eat it. Don't even ask." Now, to those who are experiencing um, practicing Christian liberty because they know it's not a sin, because they're not worshiping idols, they're just for them they're just eating meat. Paul also said, "Do not judge the one." Judging you, <laughs> so so uh, as a pastor, what do I do? If you comment of something that is not necessarily sin, I have to tell you, chill, you shouldn't stumble there because you're not in the light, you're not mature. Romans 14 says you are weak in your faith, so don't judge that. And those experiencing Christian liberty, well, be sensitive of these people who are not strong in the faith. That is in Romans 14, and take note. If you judge people, not because it's a sin, just because you thought it was a sin, you are weak in your faith. But Romans 14 says we have to address both of it. Yes, it has to be addressed. If you stumble, the term stumble is, I was made to sin because I saw something, or I heard something, it made me sin. That is the meaning of the word stumble. So you have to grow up. Because your anchor is Christ, not other people. Nobody will be perfect. And I always say, when there's somebody who sins, we have to talk to them. But drinking is not a sin, drunkenness is a sin. So be careful not to express your weakness in faith. And to those who are free, who are experiencing Christian liberty, knowing that the Bible has said what sin is, which is adultery. These are the weightier things. Adultery, fornication, yes, drunkenness. Gossip is even worse than drinking because gossip is a sin. So in these aspects, we have to grow up. Yet at the same time, to those who are mature in their Christian liberty, would say, okay, let's be sensitive as well to the others, and uh, that was a wonderful discussion, and that was in the van. Of course, there are other things I'd like to discuss, not related to it, but related to church planting and how a church would grow. So, but we did discuss in diet, we talked about God's word, and we had a wonderful fellowship there. So it's like practicing the first part. We devoted ourselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and then we learned together Now, allow me to read Luke 24, verse 44 to 49. I just want to prove that Jesus said about who he was in the Old Testament. That's why when we say apostles' teaching, it's not just the New Testament. Now, verse 44 says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Take note, verse 45, he opened their minds to understand scriptures. And this is what the work of the spirit now, because Jesus physically is not here. he seated at the right hand and he said, I will send my spirit. And this is the work of the spirit. And the spirit works with us as we study humbly God's word. In verse 46, he said, and said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Verse 47, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. There are verses before this that prove that he is indeed, were spoken of in the Psalms and the prophets. Yet at the same time here, we see the essence of what must be taught. And what must be taught first is about Christ and the Gospel and that he rose again on the third day. In other words, we should never get tired of that. We should always, always speak of it. Even later, we will discuss about the breaking of bread. When we talk about communion, let me just share to you later what it means. But what we do there is remembering these words. As well, the Lord Jesus gave them a right messianic view of the Old Testament. He made them understand the reason for the suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be preached. So take note. We see it in verse 44. About me, he said, in the law and the prophets, the Psalms must be fulfilled. So he was in the law the it's in verse 44. He was in the law of Moses and prophets and the Psalms, and it must be fulfilled. So they gave, Christ gave them a messianic view of the Old Testament. Of course, we should study the Old Testament in its own merit, meaning there were rabbis who, 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 who study it and make commentaries about it. It's good to study it in its form. However, Christ was saying to the apostles, and that's the difference, with a believer studying the Old Testament, and the student who's just studying jewish literature the difference is we have a messianic view we have a lens of christ in the old testament that's why if we remember our journey in the book of genesis and exodus how we with a lens of lens of the messianic of me, of having a messianic lens i mean the lens of christ we saw that hey christ was called the lamb of god as well and there's a lamb here that was sacrificed, that saved Israel in Exodus. And, uh, and this became part of the system, their, their worship system. So to remind them of that, but that was not a remembrance of the past alone, that the lamb, the blood of the lamb, made them survive the angel of death. But it is a reflection of what was to come. And Christ saying, that's me. In the Old Testament, and of course the, of course the prophets, the prophecies were, were also given about the Christ. Next point, covenant and prayers. Now, they also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, which is remembering the new covenant in Christ. We also call this communion. And of course, they continued in prayer, which is evident in other parts of the book of Acts. So, the breaking of bread and prayers. Uh, they're connected because the breaking of bread is like a spiritual act of worship, and prayer is an act of worship and an act of communion uh, with, with God. So it is important that, that we see communion not only as a ritual but as a meal. It should be a meal. It is a meal. It was a meal. It was a meal with bread and wine. It's Wine, it's real wine, okay. Uh, wine as in with alcohol, all right. So it's wine, there was wine and there was bread and they broke it. So they drank the fermented drink and Christ said, remember this, this is the new covenant in my blood. So what was happening? Now today they say some religion, a religion would say, it transformed into the literal blood of Christ when he said, this is my blood. Now, we view it more in terms of the tradition of both the Old Testament and the New Testament, that before, once they have an agreement, to seal the agreement, the signature was to eat together. And to eat together was to drink wine and bread. So when he says, this is my blood, he's saying, this is my covenant, I will die and remember my blood. I seal it with this drink. So when he says this is my blood, he's saying I have a promise to fulfill. I have a covenant that I shall make with you. So it's like this is my signature. See it as that way. This is my commitment. So it's just like when I sign something, I'll make sure I do it, and uh, as long as I'm alive, I will do it because I signed the agreement. It's just like husband and wife. You signed an agreement, right? to the married people, or you forgot to sign it. Uh, you have to sign it so legally it's binding. The laws of marriage are binding on, on, on the nation to you. And once you sign it, you're saying, "What was till death do us part, you know what we say in these ceremonies, uh, in sickness, in health, etc. So when Jesus said, this is my blood, he's, and, and drinking with them, he's sealing the covenant. He's saying, I have an agreement with you, and to all who believe in me, I have this agreement. It's not cannibalism where you drink the literal blood of Christ. And then the bread is his body, again, his body that would suffer. He was going to offer up his body and his blood. Take note, the blood is so significant in the Old Testament. The blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood of the Lamb. And his body would be broken, but it would rise again on the third day. So he says, do this as often as you can, which means the bread and the wine. Well, if they, if they did it in Asia, it would be rice, okay? Uh, mm-hmm. As we partake of the same bowl, let us remember. What's the difference? Well, in meal we just pray, but the difference with communion is you are in an attitude of worship and remembering the Lord's death on that day. But we still use the bread because <laughs> it feels consistent with, with scripture. And it's hard to break rice. It's already broken up in pieces, right? So uh, I can't say I give you one piece each of this rice. And as we eat all together this single piece, we are one body. We can't do that. So, but we, we have a whole bread. Take note, it's not sliced bread. Uh, <laughs> because there's a breaking and they pass it. Yes, in the times of COVID, it's not easy to do. So we, But you break it from the same bread, We're like one body being broken up. So there's a thing about covenant, where it's a covenant between Christ and all who believe, but there was also a side agreement there, which was not really emphasized, but it was understood. It's a covenant of the body. That's why if you look at the writings in Corinthians of Paul, it's about the body as well where we must have a good relationship with one another because we have to partake of this bread. So which means, when we break bread, I have a relationship with him because of what the covenant he initiated. Take note, we did not initiate the covenant he did. And because of that covenant with him, in effect, I belong to the body which, where you belong. Now, we belong together. We are covenant brothers and sisters in Christ because of him. Now, we did not initiate this. It's a no-choice situation. If you have a covenant with him, (laughs) you have a covenant with one another. So, we are covenant brothers and sisters. You can say, hello, covenant brother. Hello, covenant sister. You can actually say that, but it reminds you that it is deeper than we think. It's stronger than blood. It's stronger than your relatives. The bond in the Spirit in Christ is much stronger. And that united the church during that time. It's that bond they had with Christ as they break bread. They remember the Lord's death. So a communion is a meal with bread and wine, Why did they drink too much wine there? Because the water was impure. It was very practical to drink wine for a long time until we learned how to purify the water. I'm just making sure some of you don't make an excuse to always drink wine every time. (laughs) You have good water today, all right? So you can drink a lot of water as well. Uh, Communion is a meal with bread and wine to remember the new covenant and the new covenant there was an old covenant and there's a new covenant the old was fulfilled in Christ because the old was a shadow the new is the substance this is the shadow this is the real thing Christ so we remember that and we remember his death so forever we worship in gratitude and moreover Uh, praying together is a consistent activity of the early church. And even in the other writings of the New Testament, Paul would remind them, Paul would remind Timothy, I want men praying everywhere. So meaning praying everywhere. I want men praying everywhere. I want people praying everywhere. So uh, the importance of praying together and praying alone is very important, but praying together, I think there's a certain element, a certain little difference, or maybe it's a big difference. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's a big difference when we pray together. Yes, praying alone. You're praying to God, and if God listens, that that is amazing and that is powerful in terms of God calling you to pray and bringing us to the place of prayer. And we fellowship with God in prayer, not only asking, but also being sensitive to his presence. It is prayer as well. Then on the other hand, being together because he is pleased when his people gather and when they pray together that's why here we have that before pandemic um we prayed together here in this hall uh, 6 a.m i know some of you have a difficulty rising up at 6 a.m and you have to take the sacrifice to come here before but that's kind of the point that we sacrifice our time we do something difficult for him and it's coming together well it's not really difficult you know how far you would go just to to enjoy yourself in a tourist spot right it's just the viewpoint you just don't view it as an exciting thing when we pray together but if you have a viewpoint you transform your point of view and it says it's something the lord wants and i want to please my lord so We have to consistently pray together. Now, application, although I have been brushing on or or touching on application, let me apply it, uh, share uh, something more focused and something more contextualized with us. First point is commit to consistency or for consistency. Well, for the sake of consistency, well, not really, that's not very accurate. It's be consistent so that you are devoted Let let us devote ourselves to learning and obeying the Holy Scriptures by faith. Moreover, let us commit ourselves to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. We must not allow distractions to remove us from our commitment. And this should help us decide in terms of our major decisions in life. There are certain things in life that like opportunities we get opportunities i get opportunities in fact it, it sometimes you come to the point in life it doesn't end there's just too much and i have to choose which opportunity is best but how i decide is not what's best for me there are opportunities that's best for me financially for example but it will not be it will affect my devotion to these endeavors if it will affect my devotion to these endeavors, I will say no. I will say no, and I will find the opportunity that suits this, that I can arrange my schedule, and I can experience a deeper communion with my brothers and sisters, that I may grow with them together. And of course, I make that as a strong emphasis. We have to grow together. So, once upon a time, uh, while I was observing and I, I instructed a stronger policy, Uh, I don't want people playing music and then during sermon, they'll be down there sleeping or just talking with each other, fellowshipping down there, but not growing with us. I said, no, they can't touch that. Not here. When they want to perform, go somewhere else where it's a performance. Here it's a worship and not only worship, we grow together. What does that mean? We learn the scriptures together. That is essential. It cannot be church. It's not like some, like a, like when in in your old religion that you just have to go there on a Sunday and then mind your business for the rest of the week. It's not that. It's not also a movie house when you think the topic is nice, I'll go there because the topic is nice. It's just like going to a movie house and because it's not a good movie, the next movie is not a good movie, I won't be there. It's not a movie house. It's not entertainment. I am not performing. I'm teaching God's word. Those who sing here should not be performing. They should be worshiping and leading us in worship with fear and trembling. Why? Why with fear and trembling, God looks at the heart. And the heart is a dangerous thing where you can absorb the glory because of a wonderful performance. For preachers as well, we have to be careful with the applause of the crowd if they say wonderful lecture wonderful preaching sermon pastor I have to be very careful in my heart to say it is for the glory of God and there is nothing good in me if I was able to deliver a good one it is because of the grace of God alone and if you are blessed and inspired I'd like to say with emphasis for the glory of God alone and without his strength it was zero me in 100% him any little thing I cannot absorb. And that's how we grow as a community. We grow with one another. We learn. We make sure we are committed, not just for the sake of you have friends here. It's wonderful. We should be friends. We're not friends only. We're covenant brothers and sisters. Is that a cool phrase? Before I used to emphasize this in the other churches, but my failure was to teach them uh, exposition, putting the apostles' teaching, I was jumping to the breaking of bread rather than giving a lot of emphasis on the apostles' teaching because I've, uh, not I was influenced by many pastors as well that how we have wrongly valued relationship above the truth of God's Word. And it's for the sake of m- preaching is for the sake of meeting the needs of the people. That's true and not true. That's true and absolutely wrong as well. It's true, but their need is a spiritual need that comes from the Word. If you think they have emotional needs, of course, we need to pray with them, counsel them, but the purpose is not for the sake of making them feel better. Well, the purpose is guiding them into the truth. Of course, we want them to feel better, but not at the expense of the truth. We must teach God's Word. We have to say, my friend, you are experiencing... This pain in your heart, one main reason is you do not know how to forgive. Because the freedom in Christ, the healing of Christ comes through forgiveness. And I have to say, as much as I want to pray for you, and I feel sorry for you, you have to learn this, and it is a painful process. But unless you go through it, that's the only time you would understand the love of God, where he was betrayed by his own creation. Yet he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was betrayed like you. So I have to say, my friends, that's, and that's the beauty of, of, well, I have no choice. You're my brother and you're my sister. We don't have a choice in the matter. You know, they say you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. In the kingdom, it's the same thing. I didn't choose you. God chose you. I didn't choose me. It is the Lord who made his choice. And we are together because he destined us to be together. So brothers and sisters, look in your left quickly and on your right and on your back and say to yourself, I have no choice. (laughs) Uh, We have to learn to be patient with one another. And commit to Christ to learn together. (laughs) It is not good to treat study, fellowship, and communion and praying together as secondary from work, school, sports, and entertainment. The body of Christ is not secondary. Instead we must commit to making the things of God the priority. Number two, study and fellowship. Let us consistently with wholehearted devotion study God's Word. Of course, we study as individuals, but let us not neglect to do it together. Somehow, there seems to be a connection between the Apostles' teaching and fellowship. We should be contextual students of God's Word. More precisely, we should have a Christ-centered view of the Old Testament and, of course, the New Testament. Let us pray that we would have that hunger and thirst to know God through the Holy Scriptures. Now, there are many wonderful tuned songs in the last decade. And um, some of these songs express that they want to know God. And it's good to sing that with all our hearts. But you have to practice. Singing, saying things is not enough. You have to do it. You have to actually study. You have to actually read. Just read the Bible. Finish the Bible. Begin with that. In every sermon, take the time to dissect it. Dissect the text, and talk with others about it. Well, to fellowship with each other, uh, well, it says there that, that they continued steadfastly, or they devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching, and to fellowship. Now, the fellowship has a very nice Greek word, okay. and it's very popular among pastors. It's something we emphasize called koinonia koinonia, to fellowship with each other means that we have something in common. Communion, and that common is Christ himself. Christ himself. One th- that thing, is, well he's not a thing, the one that we have in common is Christ himself and we all believe in the Word of God. And that is our devotion to Christ. Well, we have to fellowship and uh, we share with one another. In the early church, they help one another, and we should help one another. And how do we do that? I hope you mature in your view of our church community. Because some who come from other churches always see the pastor as doing everything. It's not our approach here. We approach more of how Jethro taught Moses to delegate. So we delegate through our small group leaders. Uh, and we Delegate the caring of one another in the group. So you cannot say you're consistent on Sunday and you're consistent, not consistent in the small group. Don't do that. Because it's in the small group that we know how you are every week. And if ever you get into a terrible situation, it's that small group first who will respond. They are the first responders. Take note, the pastor is not the first responder here. You know why? I would not have enough time to teach you properly. Jesus handled 12, and the 12 reached out to others. Paul would, they would appoint elders, and the elders would take care of that community. So we approach it in the same way. It's a small group who are the first responders. That's why be part of the small group. If a small group cannot handle because a problem is difficult for them to handle, then they elevate. So if some of you see a problem and you're inviting the whole church immediately to help, don't, don't, don't! If the whole church responds to every problem, we won't be doing anything else except extinguish fires. No, the first responder is your own group first. Then you ask help from the others if you cannot handle it all. That's the only time. So don't take lightly the small group. Don't take lightly your small group leader. For the women, they report to my wife and she reports to me if there are major issues, but if it's a minor issue, I will not know about it. I don't have to. One of the things I have to take care of is my mental health. Can you imagine? Because I have met pastors who have terrible mental health. You know why? They have a hundred, and all of them, he counsels all of them. So he has a hundred problems in his mind every night when he sleeps. When he's in front of his wife, his wife telling a story, a nice story, and his mind is, (sighs) why? Problematic of somebody else's problem. Well, the wife is there wanting fellowship, wanting koinonia. Pastors who counsel everybody will become unhealthy, mentally and emotionally. So what do we do? We develop others and we trust them. We take that risk. It's always a risk. And we take that risk. Sometimes it feels good to be needed. I'm needed. They're looking for me. Small group leader, focus on your group and grow it. Evangelize. Take care of that. Don't point out the mistakes of other groups. Chill. Chill. Focus on that. Focus on developing yourself, sharpening yourself, learning, not so much on the mistakes of others because you might end up in gossip. If you see somebody saying, you go to them immediately. You don't report to a pastor. Pastor, I saw somebody. If it's a crime to be committed, then we have to inform the authorities. If it's if it's an actual sin, you have to confront and say, brother, I, sister, I think that is a sin. I believe that is a sin. You must repent of your sin. That's Matthew 18 in practice. Matthew 18 in practice. Lastly, celebrate the covenant and pray together. We celebrate the covenant. Let us practice communion which is the breaking of bread and partaking of the cup? <laughs> I just thought maybe we should have a GCF bread that we should bake so you can come home every Sunday and bring to your growth group and just heat it up and just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the point is, we haven't practiced the bread, and sometimes, you know, the, the little thing you buy at the bookstore, the Christian bookstore, which is a flat thing, that's not really a bread. It's not a bread for a meal. A bread for a meal is you're giving a piece of bread, and when you eat it, eat it, you're full. That doesn't make you full. The body of Gra- Christ doesn't satisfy me. No, 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 because that is not the body of Christ. If you're going to use symbols, but again, there's, there's nothing wrong if it's for the sake of practical things. If we do it in the service, we, we use that. Okay, I'm not criticizing that we don't, so that we don't use that. I'm saying the real experience of the breaking of bread, once again, is in the small group. If you don't want to drink wine, which is fermented, make grape juice instead. Let us practice communion, breaking of bread, and when we do it, somebody must say, we remember the Lord's death, we remember his resurrection. Somebody must say, this is his blood, the blood blood of the new covenant, and this is his body, given up for us. We are reminded that he signed it, he sealed it. Where did he seal it? With his apostles, with his disciples. It was sealed, he signed it, and we remember that. And that tradition is being passed on until today your covenant brothers and sisters you should value them above your friends in the world the kind of brotherhood you must experience the kind of upliftment encouragement we should give should be within the body of Christ yet we have to connect to others outside the world to share what we experience to bring them in so that they may know Christ as well. Because the beauty of the good news is not that he saved us alone. He, that's the most beautiful thing, by the way, but that's not the only thing. He, may, he made us a body, a community of believers, which means although his spirit is with us, we know we're not alone in this journey. We have one another. You know, I'm very happy I have you in Christ. Are you happy to have us here? Now, are you happy with your small group? And no, when you see them, you know, wow, it's good to see you again. Even though you don't understand a word they say because your internet is terrible. So uh, um, that's when you when you make a little money, you invest in better internet connection. But some would say we did, but it's still like that. the The service is terrible. But hopefully, nowadays, hopefully, we could be, have more face-to-face. So we can mix meeting online and meeting face-to-face. And we have to pray together, of course. The communion or covenant, the breaking of bread, is a special meal where we remember the new covenant. A covenant is a divine agreement between God and men, and we should pray as we do so. The Lord Jesus broke bread with his disciples, and the church continued this tradition of repeating his words to remember the new covenant in his blood. We, sh- we should continue this tradition in humility and worship. Let us value the opportunity to pray together as often as we can. Hopefully, we will be able to restart hmm? hopefully the non-prayer meetings when the restrictions allow it. And I think they're allowing it. They, we could do that already. Yet we may practice praying together online and even in small groups. The contacts in Acts 2 reflected that they met also in houses. That's in the latter verses. If you read, continuously to read under, until verse 46, if you continue to read, you'll see that they met in houses. So we promote meeting in houses in homes to practice these things. Now I share to you a poem. I had difficulty thinking of a title, so I just called it Reflect Acts 2.42. To you, Lord, ourselves we devote. It is not us that we promote. It's your word we study and quote. Not our words and ego we bloat. Apostles' teaching is your word, things from you, which they saw and heard. May we learn as we fellowship, growing in our partnership. The new covenant, remember, forget we shall never ever. Let's show gratitude and respect to a sacrifice that's perfect. And of course, let's pray together. We should enjoin every member to be consistent forever. His word always at the center. Let us all rise. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord. You are good and gracious. And although we are imperfect human beings, you called us your body Your body, the body of Christ on earth, reflecting you, representing you. And thank you that even though we're imperfect, we can fellowship with one another. And because we are all forgiven. Not perfect, but forgiven. And you have changed our hearts. You have transformed us. You have regenerated us that now we desire to obey all because you gave us faith, the faith to obey. And we praise you for that. Not to us, but to thy name give glory. And we pray that all of us will be devoted, consistent, consistent to learning your word together, the apostles' teaching. Learning your word together and to fellowship that we may encourage one another. Teach us, never to neglect our fellowship with one another. To the breaking of bread, remembering the covenant with you, which also reminds us that we are covenant brothers and sisters. And to prayer, that we may pray for one another and devote ourselves in praying together. Be glorified, be magnified, and as a result, your word says, and the Lord added to their number daily. So we pray through the small groups, add number to us daily. To you be the glory, Lord. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of his Spirit be with you all. And God's people say, Amen. God bless you. Good morning.